Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Davey Blackburn. And I'm Aubrey Sampson. We're so glad that you're with us today. We have yeah. another incredible episode for you. Uh, this time we have a conversation with Tracy McCombs. Mm-hmm. And uh, Davey, you told us before, but in case people don't remember, <laughs> this is your second conversation with Tracy McCombs. You want to explain that to everybody? Yeah, it is. I'll, I'll tell you what I just told you, Aubrey, and I told Tracy this. I was so embarrassed. Um, so essentially, we recorded this with Tracy. She's in Germany and so she's staying up till wee hours in the morning, it felt like. I think it was like 11, wow. 12 o'clock at night for her wow. but to, in order to record this during our time frame. And so it's so just gracious of her to do this. Well, then the audio yeah. got corrupted because of the technology uh, mm. between here and Germany. I don't know how all that works, right? But yeah. And so we had to re-record this. So she gets on the calendar, and so it was several months later. And so I jump on. I did not know this was a re-record. Um, <laughs> and I know this sounds so bad, like... Here's the thing you, you have to do realize. A lot, I you love do a lot every of single one of our guests. I love yeah. them. And I try to remember everybody's name and try to remember yeah. everybody's story. But we're at 200 and some odd episodes now that it's it's impossible to. Right. And right. I'm usually back-to-back recording, right? Mm-hmm. So you're kind of not quite in the mode of it, right? And I've got, you know, so. And the way that we do these interviews too, Aubrey, you know this, is that we typically don't have a whole lot of questions prepped for this. We just. Right walk through their story and see what yeah. the Holy Spirit brings up. It's very, very organic. intentional yeah. in that way, right? Mm-hmm. And so I get into the conversation with her, not knowing that we've already had this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I get about four or five minutes into it. She says she's in Germany and a military spouse. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we've had this conversation before. <laughs> I know this. This is familiar to me. <laughs> Bless your heart, Tracy. You're amazing. I know. I'm so sorry, Tracy. I, I told her on the back. I said, Tracy, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so sorry. But that was a wonderful conversation the second time around. So thank you I'm so sure much. I'm sure she for was very with gracious with you. So needless to say, she is a, a military wife. She's an army wife, right? That's right. That's right. Army wife stationed in Germany. Mm-hmm. Author and National Institutes of Health Analyst. Wow. So it's a lot on her plate. She has written a book called My Miscarriage and Other Invited Events, chronicles her journey through miscarriage, infertility, and cancer. She's also a mama of two yeah. and um, definitely explores layers of grief. So yeah. you're going to be really encouraged uh, by Davey's converse- second conversation with Tracy. Yeah, second conversation. Um, Davey, yeah. before we dive in, I would love to read a review uh, of the podcast, if that's mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, it'd be great. Um, okay, this is from Katie Ramirez, and she, this is uh, she wrote, This podcast really warms my soul. It has helped me process my own trauma along with my daughters for the past three years. Mm. It's hard to find people who will talk about their pain and hurts with true vulnerability in person. No one wants to be labeled or viewed in a light that is not positive. This podcast is where I have found healing through these people's stories. As they share their stories, it has helped me walk in my own past so that I can heal, examine my own heart, and look to the God of hope who can heal all wounds. Awesome. So good. I just love, I'm so encouraged every time we receive those reviews. Absolutely. Uh, I just, I'm telling you, it, it warms my heart. It warms my heart. So thank you so much for taking the time to do that. We would encourage all of you guys to go and rate and review this podcast if it's ministered to you. 
Uh, not only does it encourage us, but it, it, it encourages other people to dive into this as well. Go ahead and share the podcast too. Share it with some friends. Mm-hmm. Share it with people that maybe you know are going through a difficult time. This is probably the easiest and best on-ramp for somebody who is going through, is in the, in the fresh aftermath yeah. of some kind of trauma or tragedy because yeah. they're just kind of clue. It's like they're leaning into someone else's conversation. So they don't have to have the conversation themselves yet. Mm. And before we're ready to have the right. conversation ourselves and really lean into our own pain, it's a lot easier to lean into somebody else's Yeah, and to get hope and encouragement from, from those other folks who have gone through this. So I think yeah. this is a great thing to share with others who have, who are going through difficult times. And, and, you know, we're going to talk about miscarriage, um, in this and infertility, which are very prominent topics that many of you have and are walking through currently. And yet it's often something as we talk about that, that people don't discuss very much and is, is not, uh, especially something in the church that we, we tend to talk about quite a bit. So, um, so I want to, I want to just, uh, I want to encourage you share this with folks who are going through maybe the same thing that yeah. um, that Tracy has gone through and that many of you guys have gone through. Let's go ahead and listen to this conversation I have with Tracy McCombs. Well, Tracy, it is so great to have you on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks for joining me. Davey, thank you uh, for having me. I really enjoy the Nothing Is Wasted podcast and just really honored to be here. Well, it is, it is likewise an honor. I, you know, I've been reading a little bit of your story and I'm just really glad that we get to have this conversation because I know, I know firsthand so many of our listeners, so many of our community are walking through a painful journey uh, with infertility, with miscarriage. And, you know, it's one of those things that I think uh, needs to be talked about a lot more. Um, And obviously I feel a little bit I feel unqualified to talk about it. And so as many times as I can get someone like yourself who's walked this journey to come and encourage our listeners, I'm really excited of the the healing and the perspective that they're going to receive and glean from it. So thank you again for spending this time with us. Um, you know, I'd love for our listeners just to hear a little bit about you and, um, you know, just kind of modern day Tracy McCombs, like where, where do you live? What is, what is your family like right now? And then we'll jump back and we'll talk a little bit about your journey. Yeah. So, um, I currently live in Stuttgart, Germany. Um, my husband's an active duty army officer and I know things are pretty crazy in the world right now. Um, but we are due to PCS to, to Texas soon. We've, lived around the world. You know, we've lived in Hawaii, uh, Washington, D.C., North Carolina, and just really enjoy um, being a part of the military. It's, it's a very special community full of some really amazing people. And um, I currently work for the National Institutes of Health, which, you know, I bet two years ago, a lot of people didn't know what the NIH was, but I bet with COVID <laughs> and other things that have been going on, people now know right. what the NIH is. And uh, I've been working for the NIH for almost nine years now. So, uh, yeah, those are two pretty important parts of my life right now. Wow. Wow. Well, you're over in, you're over in Germany, and so obviously there is, um, there's so much involved in, in your story, not just, you know, um, kind of personally what you guys have walked through, but also being in a, in a, a different scenario or a different setting in your community and, you know, being a, a, away from probably what was your home. I'm assuming the United States was your home prior to this, um, 
this stint over in Germany. And so I'm, I know that we're going to talk a little bit about that as we, as we come to it, because I know there's so many people who are, are also in these spaces where they feel maybe isolated or, or, or lacking community. And, and so I'd love for you to speak to that, but why don't you go back and talk to us a little bit just about, about the beginning of your, what you would call the beginning of your journey and just kind of a story with us a little bit, share what, um, what, what this journey has been like for you. Sure. So I think it'll be best for me to kind of break my story up into seven different thoughts that I had along my journey and how those thoughts sometimes, um, you know, ended up becoming um, epiphanies or sometimes I realized later that maybe the thoughts weren't accurate thoughts. Mm. Um, But the first thought that I thought, you know, when my husband and I decided to start trying to have a family was, this is going to be easy. Like, this is going to be so great. Mm. And uh, I think a lot of women assume that, right? When you're when you're young and you maybe just got married and, you know, you're still in that honeymoon phase of marriage and everything, you can't help but think that everything is just going to work out great. And so that's the, the, the mentality that I had going into trying to start a family and I, I just thought it was going to be like a super easy experience for me. The first time that I actually had pause about that thought was when my best friend had a miscarriage. Um, that was my first experience with infertility or loss, was witnessing it happening to somebody else. We were at a Christian function and we were volunteering. Um, it was called... Um, Christmas in July. I think we were watching Christmas movies in July and we were <laughs> volunteering at the concession stand and doing all the candies. And that earlier that morning, my friend had texted me that her doctor gave her the unfortunate news that, you know, the, the baby growing inside her didn't have a heartbeat. And I know she was devastated. And she said, I just, I can't go home. You know, I, I want to just get it off of my mind and, and distract myself with something. I need to be around friends just so I can forget it for a while. And so I invited her to the event. I said, please come volunteer with me. We'll have a great time. You know, we'll just do our best to, you know, kind of not worry about this right now. And while we were at the event, um, neither one of us realized that there was the, 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 the possibility that the actual miscarriage could start and that is what happened during this event my friend um literally experienced her miscarriage at the event and i i i was next to her when things started to happen i'll never forget the face that she, she the eyes that she gave me and just just the tr- trauma that she was going through and experiencing and i felt so inadequate as a friend because I did not know how to support her. I didn't really know what was even going on. I had just started trying to get pregnant myself. I wasn't a nurse. You know, I had no no medical experience. And so, you know, I immediately called her husband and said, you know, you have to come pick her up. You know, we don't know what's going on. And the thing that I remember from that day more than anything was helping her out to the car and just the grandmother-like steps that she had to take just to make sure nothing happened. And when we finally got outside and her husband was there to help her in the car, she just gave me this just 
this hug of desperation. And I will never forget what she said to me. She said, I am so sorry. I should never have come. And that really resonated with me. And at the time, it didn't, it didn't register. But, you know, having lived through my own miscarriages, looking back, I just find it so amazing that a woman going through something like that, the thing that is on her mind is to apologize. And I think so many women end up thinking it's their fault or placing blame on themselves when it is absolutely not their fault. And we just kind of have like this natural instinct to be like, oh my gosh, what did I do? Or, you know, what could I have done differently to to change the outcome? And so I wanted to start with that because, you know, all women kind of walk into this experience thinking, this is going to be great. Like, this is going to be amazing. But that is not the case for all women. Like one in four women will experience miscarriage. One in eight women will experience infertility. So if you've got a group of girlfriends and you're all out at lunch, take a look around the table because one of them is going to experience this. And, you know, I just, you know, wanted to start with that because that kind of really gave me pause. Like, okay, like this might not be as fun and exciting as I thought it might be. Maybe I need to be a little bit more cautious. Uh, and then the second thought that I'd like to share with everybody on on the podcast today is that while this happened to my friend, I never thought it would happen to me. And I think every woman that hears about infertility or hears about stillbirths or he- hears about um, eptopic pregnancies or anything, it's always another woman, but it's never going to be me. And that's really, I think that that lie and I, I shouldn't call it a lie but just that that thought that I had in my head kind of keeping me going like I'm still going to try to get pregnant here because I really don't believe anything's going to go wrong um and then you know a few months later I experienced my own miscarriage my husband and I were on on the base and we were doing that initial um appointment where you go in and you check the heartbeat and they monitor you and it's supposed to be like a really great appointment you get this really great book that tells you about pregnancy and all all the different fruit sizes that your baby's going to grow into and they ask questions and make sure if you have any concerns that they're addressed and you know the the anticipation you know for you know, eight weeks is really just, I want to see the baby. Like I want to, um, you know, have the ultrasound and and see the little peanut on the screen and we can all celebrate and it's going to be amazing. Right. And so, um, I'm sure for most women who experience a miscarriage, it's almost like you can remember every detail about that moment. I can remember the ugly peach color of the, the curtains that were drawn in, in the, doctor's office. I can remember the sanitizer smell. I can remember my doctor's voice like it was yesterday. And that moment when a doctor's face goes from a smile to kind of just this concerning look um, to silence. And then you're just kind of like, what's going on? And when they finally say, it doesn't look good. You know, I'm sorry, there's not a heartbeat. That's when the thought that this could never happen to me just like crumbles into a million pieces. Mm. So in that moment, um, I had my black 
Toms on. I had, you know, my jeans and everything. I remember everything I was wearing. Um, my doctor was really thoughtful and she said, you know, I'm going to step out for about 10 minutes and give you and your husband some time. And then I'm going to come back and we'll talk about next steps. And that gave me time to just mourn with my husband. Um, mourn so much and it's not just mourning um it's a different kind of mourning and i think the mourning is you're mourning the hope that you had and all of the um dreams that you had for this thing growing inside of you that it doesn't exist anymore and you also mourn all of the work that you put into it to get there you know, my husband and I didn't get pregnant on our first time. It took us eight months. And for most women, that's pretty average amount of time it takes to, you know, actually get pregnant. And so it was like, wow, we've we've been trying eight months and not only are we not pregnant, like we're worse off than not pregnant. Like we have this like new heartbreak that we're going to be carrying around. And so, yeah, miscarriages are tough and they're just, yeah. they're just different. They just... They're unexplainable, really, the, the pain, because something that I thought about after my miscarriage is, you know, only women have like the amazing opportunity to carry life inside of them and birth that life into existence. Like what an amazing gift that God gives us to do that. And when that's taken away and, and you feel so crushed, I don't think there's anything in the world that can explain what that feeling's like. And so that's the second thought I had was that this, this would never happen to me. And then, you know, walking out of the doctor's office that day, I was like, how did this happen to me? Well, I was going to, I was going to, if I could interject right there, I think you hit the nail on the head, Tracy, when it, you know, when it comes to this, the unique nature of a, of a miscarriage in, aspect of grief is that you have this season where you are man it's this exciting time right you're you and your spouse you're pregnant and you've got these dreams and these hopes and these these plans and this you know and you're beginning to create this life before it's created and um for all intents and purposes you're already living that life you know in your mind you're like okay here we we're going here we're doing this we're making these plans where, you know, this is what this baby's going to be like. And you're, you know, hoping and dreaming and you're reading books on names or you're doing all these different things. And so it's this immediate, it's like this rise and, and this crescendo of hope and then an immediate disappointment. And even, I mean, far worse than disappointment, this just excruciating gut wrenching grief that happens almost immediately right there. And it's, I think that's one of the unique things, you know, Elizabeth Elliot talks about how suffering is having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. It's like two different forms of, of suffering that we walk through. And so, you know, before we kind of go to the next thought that you had right there, can you, can you talk about, you know, a little bit, uh, what it, what it's like as you're wrestling through that type of suffering where you're experiencing the, the epitome of hope and despair, like all within a moment, you know, I mean, this is, this is the, like you said, this is the moment where you're going to hear the heartbeat. This is a man, this is an exciting moment. 
and uh, you were not ex- you were not expecting the result that that you guys walked out of there with. Yeah, uh, it 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 was just it's a, it's really difficult to explain how that 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 moment was um, when when we went out of the hospital. Um, you know, you 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 hear about people who say they're they're kind of in in um, autopilot. You know, they're just kind of yeah, going maybe like through. a fog or something. Yeah, and and that's what it was. It was just a fog. It really was a fog. Mm. And I I remember on the way home, uh, you know, my husband was holding my hand and and didn't say anything. But then I I turned to my turned to my husband and just in a moment of truth, you know, just because of all the stuff that happened, I turned to him and and I said, Adam, like I think I hate my dad. And I know listeners are probably like, whoa, like, what is she talking mm. about? Like, she's, she's talking about she hates her dad here. And, and that's kind of the third thought I kind of want to talk to the, the, mm. the listeners about. And, and that third thought that I had was that I could compartmentalize my issues and that mm. I could box everything separately and, and handle it. And I think when people start experiencing infertility and miscarriage, a lot of people don't realize that other uninvited events that are happening in life don't cease to exist. And there can easily become this pile of grief or this pile of other stuff that just kind of gets exacerbated, right? When you're going through this. And that's what happened to me. Um, When I was growing up, you know, my dad um, struggled with alcohol and he had a very serious problem with alcohol and he was a very high functioning alcoholic. So as a kid, I didn't recognize that. And, you know, there was no, no abuse. I mean, my dad was a great dad uh, for, for a very long time uh, to me. And so it, that, that was a, a challenge for me. I think my dad's alcoholism was this boiling up of anger towards my dad um, over a lot of years. Um, and then, you know, at that time, uh, about a week before uh, I, I realized that I was pregnant, my, my dad left my mother. Um, he just left. Um, there was a lot of infertility uh, between on my on my dad's. You know, my dad had a lot of infertility. Like he he cheated on my mom quite often. Uh, things that we found out later as well. And so, you know, a week before I found out I was even pregnant, um, I lost my dad. I had no idea where he was, what he was doing. Um, So that abandonment feeling, you know, came back. And then my brother had lost his job during this time. So I was worried about my brother. And then I was, you know, I was worried about my mom and how she was coping with just this very dysfunctional marriage um, and what would soon be the end to her marriage of 30 years. And, so I thought I could compartmentalize all this stuff and, and, and deal with it. But it was almost like the, the infertility and the miscarriage kind of was the breaking point for me. And I realized yeah. I couldn't compartmentalize these things. And that just because I was experiencing a miscarriage didn't mean the rest of the world stopped turning. And yeah. that was really challenging for me. Um, really, really challenging for me. So I was trying to work through a lot of that. I was trying to find healing after my miscarriage to kind of understand why that was happening. I 
trying to, you know, just kind of honestly suppress my feelings about my father. And I was like, just trying to move on. And, you know, for a couple months, Adam and I, you know, found some really nice activities. Um, you know, I was reading scripture about infertility in the Bible, like, like Hannah, I was reading more about her story and, and Sarah and just trying to get a biblical perspective on infertility, which there is a lot of infertility in the Bible. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, finally got to a point where I I felt like, okay, I think I'm going to be okay because research says only one in a hundred women have back-to-back miscarriages. That's Mm. definitely not happening to me. And so that's Mm. the fourth key thought that I had through my journey was, okay, I never thought it could happen to me, but I'm like absolutely certain this will never happen again because there's no way I'm the one in 100 women that this will happen mm. to. Um, wow. If you remember my friend at the beginning of our talk, the one who had the miscarriage at church, well, she was pregnant and she was just um, a few months away from having her baby and she asked me to host her baby shower. And at this point, I knew I was pregnant for the second time. I was for sure I would not have a second miscarriage. Uh, My friend was about to have her rainbow baby and it was just a really, it was a good time. And I just remember being at that baby shower, loving just being in a community of women who were excited for my friend, um, being excited about my own pregnancy, being around women, being able to talk about babies and not feel like an outsider and not feel like I was outside of this fun circle that everyone wanted to be a part of. And I finally felt like, okay, my bad season's over. You know, I'm, I'm over the hump now. I get to, I get to, you know, be a part of this really amazing group that all women who want to have babies want to be a part of. And, um, you know, the next day, uh, literally the day after my, my best friend's, um, baby shower, uh, I woke up and, you know, there was blood. And for the second time, um, in less than a year's time, I, I knew in that moment, I knew that I had lost my second baby. And, you know, my husband was very great. He was very gentle with me and was like, let's not draw conclusions. We need to go to the emergency room. We need to make sure, uh, that this isn't something else. Let's, let's, let's not lose hope here. Um, but you know, just, I think women have like this sixth sense about certain things. And I just felt like my body knew and like my heart knew that the baby was gone. And so it was quite a dreadful, um, ride to the emergency room because it was a Sunday and I was supposed to be in Sunday school with all my girlfriends talking about how amazing my best friend's baby shower was. I was supposed to be, you know, thinking about my, my own baby shower and what I wanted to do with it and, and having people celebrate me too. Uh, and instead, you know, I was in an emergency room with a woman asking me to jot down what my emergency was. And like, how do you even jot down on a piece of paper what your emergency is? Like, I, th- I think I've had a miscarriage. Hmm. And so that was very, that was a very difficult day too. Um, and, you know, some women you know, experience miscarriage, you know, out, outside of their traditional doctor setting. Like, you know, my first miscarriage, I was already at the doctor. So I already had the support I needed to know what to do. You know, this right. second time I was at home 
And so, you know, going to a doctor I didn't know, going to an ER nurse that I didn't know, it was a very different experience the second time. And I remember they had to verify that it was a miscarriage. So they had to do an ultrasound and they wouldn't let me look at the machine. They wouldn't let me look at the monitor or anything. And because it was a Sunday, half of the hospital was like not lit, like the lights were off. And I just remember it being like just this really, really dark hallway and being wheeled down this wheelchair in this super dark hallway thinking, what am I doing here? Like, what's going on? Like, this can't be happening to me. And, you know, the ultrasound tech took forever. Um, And, um, yeah, by the time I got wheeled back to my room, you know, the, the, the ER doctor confirmed that I had had my second miscarriage and the second miscarriage was different than the first. I think the first miscarriage was just grief, like lots and lots of grief and sadness. The second miscarriage was a little bit different in that there was fear. uh, There was anger. I think there was a little bit of bitterness and jealousy Uh, And all of these other types of emotions that I never expected to be experiencing kind of started coming to the surface. And Mm. yeah, that that was really tough. Um, So after that second miscarriage, we started doing testing. And, you know, our our, um, my OBGYN was like, most people don't start doing testing until they've had three miscarriages. And I remember looking at her in the eye and I was like, we are not waiting for three miscarriages. <laughs> it's mm. not going to happen. We're doing testing now. Um, we also had to consider a, a potential deployment that my husband was about to go on. Wow. And that, that instilled a lot of fear in me too. If he was going to deploy, it could be an entire year before we'd even get to try again. So we did a lot of testing and the test came back that I have a rare chromosome disorder called balanced Robertsonian translocation, which makes me much more higher risk for pregnancy loss and much more higher risk for having a baby with severe developmental issues like trisomy. And they also discovered a blood clotting disorder, um, which also can complicate pregnancy. And so, you know, all this stuff's kind of getting thrown on me. It's not only did I have two miscarriages, but my body is broken. Like, you know, I'm supposed to be fruitful and multiply, and it is not happening. And I just felt like I wasn't good enough for my husband. Uh, that was a, an insecurity for me. Like, my my body was ruining our chances at, at expanding our family. So all of those thoughts, you know, all of those things just kind of started to pile on. And um, I was really close to a breaking point, to be honest, Mm -hmm. after that second miscarriage. Wow. Wow. When you say you were close to a breaking point, did you, what, you know, what kind of tipped you over one way or the other? I mean, did you hit a breaking point or, or was there some kind of I don't know, some kind of real cathartic experience that began to turn some things for you and your perspective in that, you know, I think particularly what, one of the things I'm, I'm asking in that is, you know, you said as the second miscarriage was different than the first and that you started feeling these emotions that you'd never felt before, uh, you know, fear and anger and jealousy. And, you know, we talk often that these emotions are very real emotions and you're not, 
you're not a bad person because you experience these emotions, even though they're undesirable emotions, right? You know, you get surprised by those emotions as well. But there, you know, there's a difference between the, letting those kind of, you know, you hit a breaking point and, and those overtake you or, or you hit a breaking point and those you begin to figure out um, how to turn those around. How would you describe kind of that that moment for you? And maybe maybe it comes a little bit later in the storyline, but I just as we're right here, I'm wondering how did you not just experience those emotions, but begin to go, wait, how do I? how do I live with these and combat these in a healthy way? Yeah. Well, yeah, the next part of my story is actually my, my breaking point. So Mm. the fifth thought that I had on this, this journey that I went through with infertility was that I can't be mad at God. And that was kind of like that thought. You thought it was taboo to be mad at God. Yes. Yes. I thought, you know, from my childhood, just don't be mad at God. You just always be thankful. Uh, never, you know, disturb the peace between you and him and your prayer. Yeah. And I always just kind of took this right. very um, formal approach with my, my talks mm. with God. And I in some ways, it's almost like a karma approach, right, Tracy? You're like, yes. as long as I don't disturb this peace, then there's going to be good things that flow into my life. Yeah. Right. Okay. Which is which, so which wrong. suffering will blow that <laughs> I, I discovered. thought up more than anything else, right? <laughs> yes. And so I'm just going to be totally transparent here. Um, it's very it's still difficult for me to share the story because you know it's just very personal. But mm. so after all of this, um, I was at a Bible study. Um, with a bunch of people I actually didn't know. I had signed up for this uh, working women um, Bible study. And should you work if you're a mom or should you be a stay-at-home mom? And I had signed up for it thinking by this point, you know, I would be six months pregnant and I should know the answers to these questions. And I went to the Bible study and that night, I just remember we were all in this room and there was about 20 women and we're drinking milk and eating cookies. And at the end of the um, uh, the Bible study, you know, the, the leader asked for prayer request. And I remember like just biting my tongue and like just putting my head down in the book, like refusing to, sh- to share any of the pain that I was going through with anyone, refusing, refusing to share about my miscarriages, refusing to share about all of these medical complications that had been discovered over the last few months, refusing to talk about my dad or my brother or my mom or any of the family situations I had. And instead I was just listening to these prayer requests. And as they were coming in, I just got more and more angry, like more and more angry. Like one woman, you know, prayed for her dog and I'm like, okay. And then this other woman prayed for her mom's cold. This other woman prayed for her daughter's test and at this point, I'm like, like, am I the only one in this room like, like that feels like they are on the brink of losing their mind? Mm-hmm. And I just held it all in. And, you know, I, I was just so angry. And it wasn't these women that I was angry at. I was just angry. Um, mm-hmm. And I got in my car and I turned off the car light and I just sat and breathe for about 10 minutes to try to compose myself before I could even drive. And on the drive home from that Bible study, I have never screamed at God 
yelled at God, accused God more in my entire life. Tears were just streaming down my face, almost to the point where I couldn't even see the road. And very thankful it was not a busy, <laughs> a busy road. Um, I was taking subway napkins, you know, out of my center console and just wiping the mascara off my face and just saying things that I had been thinking in my heart, but I had refused to be honest with God about. And like mm. really hard things like, why would you let this happen to me? Why would you tell me to be fruitful, multiply and do this? Why is my family breaking apart and you aren't even letting me start a new family with my husband? You know, mm. what have I done for you to treat me like this? And it was, didn't say it like that. I was literally screaming at the top of my lungs, lost my voice and everything. And that was my breaking point. But I, I will never forget this. And I think this is so important for listeners to keep this in mind. I finally put down my walls and was just honest with everything that I had been feeling for the last year. And when I was done with my rant and I was done screaming and I was done crying and I kind of just sat in the car, God's peace just washed, just washed over me. And I just think that was just one of the greatest gifts that he has ever given me was just quietly letting me know that he was there regardless of how I felt. And uh, that was, that was definitely the turning point for me. And that's, that's when things started to shift and my mind started mm -hmm. to shift and things started to go better for me internally. Things did not get better externally uh, mm -hmm. after that, but internally it, it, it started to get better after that. And yeah. after that turning point, um, I had um, another situation where I had to go back to the doctor because um, um, they found a calcium deposit when I went to the emergency room. And the, 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 the sixth thought that I, that I have here, at, so I've, I had this breakthrough and, you know, I, I've, I've had this change in thought. And I would say the sixth thought that I had, you know, during this time was that, you know, breakthroughs happen in God's time mm -hmm. and they can literally happen anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so when I went back to the doctor and got this, you know, calcium deposit checked out, I had to go see a urologist and she was a young doctor and I was like, hey, I'm, you know, taking a lunch break from work. Can we speed this up? I really need to go. And so we did a cystoctopy. And so once again, I'm on another, you know, hospital bed, you know, with a gown on and everyone can see everything. Uh, you, you learn, you know, just to deal with it after multiple losses and stuff. You're just like, you know, you, you can't be modest. Um, so anyway, she was like, do you want to watch, you know, watch the camera and see what's going on in your bladder. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds really cool. So during the cystoctopy, you know, I'm watching the camera and, you know, watching the thing going on in my bladder. And during this like just quick, you know, physical exam, I see this thing in my bladder and I immediately point to it and I ask her, I say, what is that? Like, what's going on there? 
And, you know, for the third time uh, in the last year and a half, you know, doctor just stops talking to me and and face goes flat. And so I have learned uh, by this point that that does not mean anything good. So I stop asking questions and I just stare up at the ceiling and just wait for her to be done and then give give me whatever news she's going to give me. Uh, And, you know, when she's done, she looks at me and she says, Tracy, I'm sorry, but you have, you have bladder cancer. She's like, I've seen this many times and we need to schedule a procedure to remove the tumor immediately. And I just start laughing like a crazy woman. You know, I'm at that point where I'm just like, okay, this has got to be a joke. Like I I couldn't have thought of anything worse today happening than, than this happening. And, um, you know, she sits me up and she's like, Tracy, I've looked at your chart. Like, I know what you've been through the last year. I know about the miscarriages. I know about all these procedures. I I know about everything you've been through and I'm really sorry. She's like, but we have got to get this, um, this, this procedure scheduled as soon as possible. And so, you know, I, I, I get dressed and, and I put on my clothes and I immediately call my husband and I'm like, you've, you've got to come to the hospital. Well, he's on an airplane um, flying a con- congressional fellowship to, to Louisiana because at the time he was stationed at the Pentagon. And he's literally on a flight that's taking off, so he can't be there for me. Mm. And so it was just very, very hard. And it was just one of those things where, you know, I, I thought I hit rock bottom, you know, on the way home confessing all these things to God. And then now I'm like, okay, this is really rock bottom. Like, this is really rock bottom. And so my dad can't be there for me. My mom's not, you know, able to be there for me. And now my husband's not there. And I'm just like, okay, you know, I guess I'm just going to go home. And on the, on the way home, I just get this thought like, I need greasy food to kind of help me get through today. And I'm sure most people can relate to this, right? Like I need a little bit of greasy food. So I just Google search Chick-fil-A. I love (laughs) Chick-fil-A. I love their number one with extra pickles and a lemonade. Mm. And so I just, I just go to my nearest Chick-fil-A and it's miles from my home, like 20 miles away from my home. So in DC terms, that's like, that's like very far away. And I go into this Chick-fil-A and I put on sunglasses and like, you know, once again, I'm sobbing all over the place and, you know, just kind of, kind of a wreck. And I hear my voice in line at Chick-fil-A and I'm like, no, no, I got somebody else named Tracy is around here. But then I hear my voice again and I look and it's one of my good friends from Sunday school. It's her husband. And he's in line, you know, getting Chick-fil-A. And he looks at me. He's like, what are you doing all the way out here? Because mm. he knew I lived in Pentagon City. And I was like, oh, um, you know, I'm just getting some lunch. And he was like, are you, are you okay, Tracy? And obviously he knew I, I wasn't okay. And I didn't answer. I just kind of shrugged. And he was like, you know, my, my wife's in the car. And I think you should go talk to her. And so I did. I went out and I sat in the back seat of of my friend's car who just happened to randomly be at the same Chick-fil-A mm. that I was at and she prayed over me. Mm. 
in the backseat of her car. She was like, just tell me what's going on. And this friend uh, of mine had already suffered uh, four IVF failures. Uh, She suffered the loss of her uncle, the loss of her grandmother, and the diagnosis of of her mom having breast cancer all while she was going through infertility. And at this point, she was, um, I think, six months pregnant with twins. And I just asked her, I said, how do I get through this? Like, you know, what do I do? This is just, this is a lot. This is a heavy load. It's a heavy burden. And I really don't know what to do anymore. And I remember she told me that God had to take her to a place of brokenness to find the beauty in trusting him even before she got what she wanted, which was the gift of children. And it was just such an amazing conversation. And I truly believe to this day, God intervened on my way home and redirected me to my friend. Wow. 100% believe that. Would never doubt that. Um, And it just, it blessed me so much. And then the second, I'd say the second miracle that happened that day that I was diagnosed with cancer is when I was um, outside of my apartment, I had another friend call me because, you know, once again, Amazon airplane, nobody knows that I've just been diagnosed with cancer. And she calls me and she was an architect at the time working uh, on a project close to Pentagon City. She said, Tracy, can I come over? She was like, God just put it on my heart that I need to come see you. Mm. And so, of course, I I tell her she can absolutely come over and um, we go sit on my rooftop and I let her talk. And, you know, she just told me that she had been concerned about me and that she realized that I wasn't at church for a couple of Sundays and she wanted to make sure that I was okay because um, she just felt like something was wrong and maybe something had happened to my baby. And so I, you know, I shared with her that I had had a second miscarriage and that I had that day been diagnosed with, with bladder cancer. And, you know, we both cried yeah. a little bit. Um, we both embraced each other a little bit. And she pulled out her Bible from this big purse, which I thought was so cool. I need to carry around a, you know, a big purse with a, a Bible in it. But she pulled that out and she said, you know, can I read something to you? And I was like, yeah, please just read anything. And she went to the book of James Mm. and she just read over me the most amazing verses, you know, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kind, because you know, the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And out of the almost 12, I I don't know how many chapters are in the Bible, but there's a little less than 1200 chapters. Mm. That was the chapter that I read every day in college Mm. when I was figuring out how to handle my relationship with my alcoholic father and how to handle, you know, the adultery that, that, that was going on between my parents. That is the chapter I read every day in college. And so no coincidence at all that she just randomly chose that verse for me. And I feel like God put her there just to comfort me in that just awful, awful season of my life. And so breakthroughs happen in God's time and they can literally happen anywhere, even a Chick-fil-A parking lot. And so that's what I want the readers to know. Oh man, that's awesome. The the, the listeners to know. Well, the, 
you know, Chick-fil-A, of course, it's going to, I mean, it's, it's Christian chicken, so it's anointed. It's, (laughs) you know, that divine encounters are going to happen at Chick-fil-A, but you know, in in all seriousness, (laughs) Tracy, I love that you described this breaking point moment where you finally got honest with God and you, you screamed at him and you yelled at him as embarrassing as that may be for you to, to share. Honestly, I think it's necessary. I remember coming to that same exact breaking point. And then I remember having the exact same experience that you did where once you finally got it out, there was this peace. Scripture says the peace that passes all understanding that guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, that it, it kind of crashes over you there. I always talk about waves of grief, right? If you let those waves of grief come out, then waves of grace will follow. But when we bottle up that grief, then we're not opening ourselves up to experience the grace that God wants to fill. So we have to empty that, you know, we have to empty ourselves and lay that grief at his feet so he can fill us with him. And that's what I think your experience is. I I want, I want the listener to understand that your experience, my experience, it, while there, while there's nothing formulaic about going through grief, it is essential and critical that we take this to the Lord and that we're honest with him and he can handle that. He's not intimidated by it. He, he wants, he already knows what we're thinking. So it's like, he's going, Oh child, I finally want you to be honest with yourself and honest with me about this, that this is not a transactional thing. This is a relationship. Right. And it's like, Oh, finally you're ready now for me to impart these truths, these, the mysteries of myself into your heart. And this is, this is what ultimately is going to heal you. So I love that you had this breaking point and then following that breaking point, you experience this peace and then God doesn't show up in like, you know, in a cloud with a booming voice and start to tell you direction. He shows up through other people and he gives you encouragement and comfort and hope through other people. And I'm like, man, every time I listen to stories, Tracy, of people walking through suffering, this inevitably is what they're sharing. It's amazing. Um, and so I just love, I love seeing those kinds of threads through people's stories that, you know, and, and, and again, con- with you sharing that, it confirms to me, oh my gosh, this is how God works. Oh my gosh, this is how God works. It's so, it's so cool. Absolutely. And also, even after the breaking point, Get that piece, it doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect That's after. Right. I got my cancer diagnosis after, after that. And isn't that amazing that God can give us peace even if our trials don't stop? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wow. And so, um, yeah, I'll say the, the, the seventh point or the seventh thought that I would, I would like to leave the listeners with is that outcomes are are not the focus, mm. but trusting God, that's the focus. And that's what I learned because um, I don't think the listeners need to hear the outcome of my story mm. because it doesn't matter. Right. Because the true outcome of my story is that I found peace with God yeah. and I found a way to trust God through the storm and to lean on him when I was broken yeah. and to just trust in him. And there, and there's one part of my book that I wanted to read. And it's, I thought God showed his love to his children by removing hardships. Mm. 
and it has taken two miscarriages and a cancer diagnosis to realize his sufficient supply of grace brought me to a fast food parking lot and my rooftop to be comforted by two dear friends. This sudden discovery of God's love is the breakthrough I've always needed but never knew I was missing. And that's what matters. And I, I, I know there are listeners that are struggling with infertility that might never have the opportunity to give birth to a baby. There are listeners who might have had one miscarriage, but they might have two, three or four or five. I don't, I don't know. We don't know. God knows. And that I just think of all the women who have gone through these really difficult experiences. I, I think of, my girlfriend who had a stillbirth just weeks before she was supposed to give birth. I think about my girlfriend who had an eptopic pregnancy and worried that, you know, she'd have to have a fallopian tube removed. I mean, there are women everywhere, every day going through this. And I, I don't want to, to, to sit here and say, it's, it's all going to be, you know, roses and, and sunflowers and, and whatever moving forward. I can't promise that. But what I can promise is that God is there yeah. and, and there are breakthroughs and, um, and that's what matters. Yeah. So that's kind of where I wanted to leave it with the listener. Mm. Wow, that's so good. You're right. You know what? Um, all of our stories are continually in progress and in process. And so it's not about the outcome. You know, that's often what we're going to God for. We want an outcome or a result. And God knows that what we really need is a relationship. You know, he, what we really need is the, the only thing that can satisfy our soul. And that is him. And that is that peace that is not necessarily going to change the storm. The storm might still be happening, but it's, it's peace in the midst of the storm, right? And um, I'm so glad that you said that because, I mean, I, even Scripture talks about how there are so many who, you know, they they it talks about the 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 men and women of faith who died with the hope of a promise that they never saw fulfilled on this side of eternity, right? And that that was credited credited to them as righteousness, um, and that's the the reality of our human experience here in this fallen world is that we, we may have those things in our life, but that doesn't detract from how good God is and the richness that we can experience in spite of not having what we desire or having something that we never would have asked for. You know, you've experienced both of those. You've experienced both of those situations, just like Elizabeth Elliot was saying in that quote we talked about earlier, you've experienced the, reality of having something that you never asked for and, and not having what you truly desire. And, um, and, and it's, it's very neat to see your perspective as you look back on those things. I'm curious about a couple things, you know, before we kind of close our time here, you, I, I want to draw back from the conversation with you had with your friend at the very beginning where she has this miscarriage in the middle of this. It, w- it was a church function. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. So I found it kind of striking, just as you did, not only that she apologized in that moment, right? I'm so sorry I should have never come, right? That 
I mean, geez, what a tender heart right there that she's experiencing this, this, this just excruciating loss. And yet she's concerned about how this might've affected you, but also she's in a community that should be the community that you would want something like this to happen, right? They could really walk with you through this, even in the moment, right? This just horrible thing. They can walk with you in this. And yet she's feeling a, a struggle to be received in that, right? For whatever reason. And I think a lot of it is because this is something, there is a, there's kind of a veil of silence surrounding this issue a lot of times, miscarriage and infertility. And, yes. And you would know better than I would because these are things that I'm sure you're talking about in circles with your, with your girlfriends and, you know, um, can you explain that a little bit? Can you talk about that? Maybe shed some light for everybody on what it feels like in even in church circles to feel like you're walking around on, you know, tiptoe on, on eggshells as, as this topic is coming up and why is that the case and what can we do about it? Yeah, that is such a good question. And it's, you know, jam packed with a bunch of different layers. I think, you know, I'll start with the point where I had my first miscarriage and I was home alone. You know, I, I was not going out. I wasn't very hungry. I, I wasn't hanging out with my friends. And I got a call from Angela, uh, my, my, my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, you know, Adam told me what happened. Your husband told me what happened. And I just want to say that um, I wouldn't wish this upon anyone and that nobody understands what it's like until they go through it. And, and I'm so sorry that you've had to go through this too. We had a moment where we cried together on the phone and there was just this unique bond that we had because there was just this life experience that we had now both had right. that is kind of unexplainable. And it really helped me to be able to walk alongside a friend in those moments. But looking back, I didn't reach out to her and I knew she had had a miscarriage. Um, And I don't think I did it intentionally, but that's how I reacted. Like my personal reaction was almost just to hunker down and hide and and not talk about it and isolate myself. And this is one of my best friends. And so I think something we we might need to think about in the church community is, you know, oftentimes a a woman's natural reaction is just to go isolate herself. Mm. Um, That's not all women's, you know, choice, but I think that can be a natural choice for women to just be like, I don't want to talk about it and I don't want anyone to know. And I don't, you know, want to share this because it's so intimate. Um, and so I, I think what the, the church could do, and I do think there are many churches that do a really good job with this, is being available when a woman is ready to talk about it or having programs where, you know, you can talk about what is IVF and, and what are your beliefs around that and, uh, you know, w- what is a miscarriage and have you experienced one and here are some support groups um, I have, I have, um, also, um, read uh, a number of different infertility, uh, Bible studies that I think are really great. Um, but 
it's just such a hard question to answer, you know, like what, what should the church do in these situations? Because you know, every woman's experience is unique. And so I think what I would say to that is maybe not what the church can do, but what mm. can women within the church who know people who are going through this, what, what can they do as like a direct support system for these, you, you know, these women? And, and that's kind of where I've found myself. If I hear about a woman who's had yeah. a miscarriage or suffered some type of pregnancy loss or, or, or is going through infertility, um, I'll just write him a really nice card and say, I've experienced two miscarriages. It broke my heart. Just know that I'm praying for you. And if you ever want someone to mm -hmm. talk to, you can call me. And just little bitty gestures like that, I think just go a, a long way because some women, you know, wherever they are in their journey, they might not be ready to talk. They might not be ready to share, or they might not even want to share it with you. They might only want to share it with their mom or, you know, with a coworker. Uh, and so, but not forcing the conversation, but just opening the door and letting them know I am available. I am here to support you if you want that support. Uh, I think that that is just, just yeah. so important uh, for women to receive that. And, um, it's just, it's just really, really difficult. It's really difficult to, to, to start that conversation. It can be very uncomfortable, but I, I, I would think women would be, yeah. would be thankful just to know there are women thinking yeah. about them out there. That's good. Um, the last question I have, Tracy, is, you know, we alluded to this earlier, but, you know, oftentimes in our suffering, in our circumstances, there are not only the internal wrestlings that we, you know, the emotions and the grief and the anger and the, and the jealousy, as you talked about, all these different emotions that we're wrestling through and trying to work through and sort out. There's also external factors that can really complicate our suffering. And one of those for you is being in, in a military community. It can also, you know, some of these, it's, it's, a, it's a not a common situation of a community to be in. And I don't know a whole lot about military community, although we do work with some folks, even in our ministry that they're in uh, military communities and it's just so transient. And so it's difficult to find just really, really good, solid. Uh, often you just feel isolated in a lot of instances or you start to get close to somebody and then, it, and then, you know, they're reassigned or deployed or, you know, and so can you talk a little bit about that? And I know some of your journey has taken place while you guys are, you know, overseas. And some of it has been while you, you know, been, uh, you know, living near or on a base and, you know, that those kinds of things that can complicate the, the matters in terms of your community. It's so important to have good, strong community around you as you're healing. Can you just speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I, I would definitely agree that being a, an active duty military spouse or a spouse of anybody in the military that, you know, has very unique hours and, and responsibilities, it, it, it definitely adds a layer of complication to infertility, which is already very complicated. Um, it's not consistent across the board in the military, and that's why it's so hard. And what I mean by that is the hospitals and what services they provide are not consistent 
uh, across the country. You could be stationed somewhere that provides IVF treatments, but then you PCS somewhere oh, that wow. doesn't. Uh, you could you could be stationed somewhere where there's genetic counselors who tell you what balanced Robertsonian translocation is and, and give you resources um, and, and information that you can utilize as you try to expand your family. But then there might not be a genetics counselor at the next duty station you have. Um, there's separation issues, you know, um, uh, women who are going through IUIs or IVFs, um, you know, they, they have a very, very specific calendar that they have to abide by and it's pretty regimented. And if, if, yeah. if he's not there when, when it's time, it, he's not there. And it, it, and it, that is literally money down the drain, whether it be, you know, a training exercise the spouse has to go to or, or a deployment, um, and having to put your entire, you know, trying on hold for an entire year. I mean, all of those things can can absolutely happen to military families, and I, I think it's it's very challenging. And I, if I am not mistaken, I do not believe IVF is is covered um, through through our healthcare at this point. I know there's been a lot of push for that to be covered. Um, don't think that's happened yet. So you also have to know what resources are available to you and, and what is covered by your insurance and what isn't. Um, and that's something that I think can be hard to navigate for for military families as well. Those are questions that are always um, ones that are, are asked in, the, in those doctor's appointments. Um, th- those are just, just a few things that, that people go through. And then, you know, there's a whole nother side to being a, a military spouse that's that's more of um I'd say yeah. an emotional thing. You're you're not around your family. You know you live miles away from your friends. Uh, you 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 might have just moved into a house and you haven't even right. unpacked yet because you might be moving four months later. And so there's definitely like a layer, an extra layer of isolation that can happen. And um, I just, you know, for any military spouse that might be listening to this podcast going through infertility, just really, really would encourage you to to find a church home that 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 has a program where there are women struggling with this same situation as you and get into a Bible study and, and get, you know, that um, support that you need. Um, you know, maybe even ask your mom or your dad to fly out and help you out for a week or two if you can. I mean, I, I know everyone's situation is different, but the isolation component is very, very real. And I uh, would just really caution women to do their best to be transparent and vulnerable. And that is so hard. And I'd even go as far as to say it's not fair, <laughs> but in being transparent and in being vulnerable, it allows other women the opportunity to come up to you and say, I'm going through that too. Right. Or I've been through that before. I'd love to support you. Um, and that really opens the door up for, you know, conversation and relationships. So That's so good. I think it's very important to note that, that often we don't want to be vulnerable and expose some of those p- parts of our life and of our heart that it's, it's, it's terrifying you know, when you put yourself out there like that, it's terrifying because because there's always this thought in the back of your mind, I must be the only one that's going through this. And and I think that that is a, an absolute strategy employee of the enemy to isolate us even further 
And what I found more often than not is when you finally do say, you kind of step forward and go, Hey, this is what I'm dealing with that people come out of the woodwork and they're like, Hey, I am too. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad somebody said something about this because I've been dealing with this for a long time. And then what a ripe opportunity for ministry right there and community and walking through it together. And so I'm so glad you said that, Tracy. I think that's imperative. And Tracy, this has just been, this has been an incredible conversation. I know that um, I want to make sure everybody is pointed in, in the direction of your most recent book where you chronicle a lot of this stuff, My Miscarriage and Other Uninvited Events. Um, we'll make sure that we put that on the show notes. Um, but, you know, I, I, I want, I know that they're going to get a deeper dive into some of the stuff that we've talked about and, and a little bit more insight into your journey in that book. And so it's just, um, I appreciate you being honest and, and raw with not only your writing, but also your time with us right now, because I know that it, it does exactly what we just talked about. You know, it, it allows other people to feel the, the safety and the, and the space to say, Hey, me too, me too. I'm, I, I, I'm walking in that same, in that same direction, in that same journey. Tracy, where can our listeners, um, follow you more and, and just kind of jump along on your journey. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Davey. That's really sweet. Um, you know, if, if listeners are interested in learning more about my story, um, they can visit my website, which is tracymccombs.com. Um, my book is available on Amazon. And if you type in my, my miscarriage, it, it'll pop up. Um, but yeah, just Davey, thank you so much for this time. I think Nothing is Wasted does a, a fabulous job. And I really hope any woman or any family that's going through infertility that um, they gain some, yeah. some hope yeah. from listening to this yeah, podcast. Well, thank you so much, Tracy. It's an honor to be able to discuss this with you. a great conversation with her. Absolutely. I was just thinking that's so good. I hate that we had to record this twice because of technology, but I I feel like the Lord was even in that because mm. both with Tracy and last week with Clarissa Mall, the second time around, it it there was just some richness to it that maybe, I mean, there was definitely richness in the first one, but there were some sure. added things there that we got into in both of those conversations that we didn't yeah. get into in the first time around. Oh, wow. Okay. And I just... I, I'm so glad that we did because I feel like those are things that the Lord knew that you guys needed, needed to, hear to this. come out. Yeah. 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 That's and, so that's I love that. Aubrey, I'm I'm so I'm curious because you know that I, I obviously sit in a in a very different seat um in the mm-hmm. when it comes to this topic with miscarriage mm-hmm. and infertility. You know, it's always interesting to talk to a a woman who's battling this and dealing with this mm-hmm. and get her perspective. But then it's also interesting to talk to a man, maybe the husband and get his perspective. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, we talked about with Tracy, how this is often not discussed in church circles. Right. It's, it's very much a, a kind of a women are in silent desperation in a lot of this. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just wonder why that is. I'm not sure if you have any, kind of speculation as to why that is. I mean, yeah. it seems like this topic across the board and that's the case for people, you know, I, I have some speculation, Davey. Um, and, but I am, I am speculating and mm. I, because part of it is I haven't walked through miscarriage. I've, I've walked with friends who have miscarried or have been through infertility. Part of me wonders if, because 
in general, the church has been particularly led by men. Mm. And this is, though it, of course, impacts dads and spouses. I, I'm not at all trying to say it doesn't. But because it is particularly a woman's pain, yeah. um, and even just especially a woman's pain, I wonder if it's been sort of missed just by nature of, like, one, this is one of those representation matters kind of conversations. Like, right, right. have had more women been in church leadership for the last several years, I wonder if we would have heard more sermons about miscarriage mm. and fertility. But I also wonder if it's something practically that I just said. So Kevin and I have not walked through this, but I, I'm guessing pastors who have walked through this are going to be way more open from the True. pulpit about their experience, yeah. their wives' experience, their pain, their heartache. And then I... Unfortunately, you hate to say this, Davey, but I think this is similar to some of the conversations around um, like abortion-minded women or women who have had abortions yeah. in the past. There's so much shame around yeah. either not not being able to have kids, losing kids, because for whatever reason, the church, we've said like, to be a woman, you're married and you have children. Right. And I wonder if there's, even in this that we know is so tender and nobody's fault and so heartbreaking, yeah. I wonder if somehow subconsciously the church has made a woman who can't have a child or who has experienced miscarriage like less than mm -hmm. somehow. And there's some shame involved that should not be there, like that the enemy has allowed to exist. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll say one more thing, and then I'd love to hear your perspective as a pastor, but I, I also do think that the things that the enemy kind of keeps us quiet on, we need to be really aware of mm. that that is probably an area that the Lord wants to do a lot of redemptive work in yeah. and a lot of transformational healing in. And yeah. and so I think it's just good for even even for us to acknowledge right. this is a this is a blind spot in the church and we need to get better at at creating space to talk about miscarriage yep. and infertility. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is this is one of those examples of you know that as a as a as the church across the board, I know this is not indicative of every church, but you tend to see this trend that Sunday becomes a party, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like it's yeah. a it's a big celebration. And I understand it, right? I understand the sure. philosophy behind it, right? Sunday we're celebrating the resurrection, we're celebrating, mm -hmm. right? And we're trying mm -hmm. to we're trying to uh, help people with a spiritual shot of adrenaline before they go out into yeah. the battlefield Monday through Saturday, yeah. right? I, I I kind of get that, but but sometimes you can err too far to that, where everything mm -hmm. becomes about celebration so much that we gloss over or whitewash painful things. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you certainly don't want to be fatalistic on on the other side of the spectrum, where it's like all this mm -hmm. is is about pain, 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 pain. That's for sure. Right. When it, I think there needs to be a healthy balance and a healthy dose of that that, ref, that accurately reflects our, our human yeah. experience Yeah. and reflects God's interaction with us. There is pain, there's difficulty. Mm -hmm. Now I'm saying that as a, on a macro level, but I, I think that that can be the case even in the community of our churches, right? Where, where we, we are very quick to celebrate or host in the fellowship hall, baby showers and yeah. weddings and stuff mm -hmm. like that, but we haven't created space or room to facilitate grieving yeah. the loss that's, of, right? So, good, mm -hmm. so essentially everybody's receiving the invites for the celebration, 
Right. Everybody wants to talk about that. Everybody wants to, the buzz is, are you going to, you know, this kind of a thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so it just, it can very subtly creep into the culture of our church where it's Mm -hmm. like, well, we don't, we don't really address or talk or give space for facilitate the hard things, the difficult things. And if we do, it's going to be the pastor, maybe one-on-one with that person. Right. Right. It's very individual, not communal. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be a communal thing, mm-hmm. and I think, I think we're, that's I think really wise, Davy. Yeah, that's a uh, that that may be an area that that especially in the evangelical church world, we need to figure out more regular rhythms of of joy and lament. Yeah, right. Um, so that it does become part of our regular spiritual practice and our communal. I think that's the important piece you're drawing out too, like something we do communally. Communally. Yep. Yeah. Even and carry each other's pain, and that's so biblical. It is. It very much is. I mean, I have to be very careful when I say this, but the 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 idea of the the sitting Shiva. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> yeah. See why I have to be careful when I say that. Yes, right? I was just. It took me a minute, and as you said, I went, "Oh, that's what he means." Yes, you got to be careful the not to sitting switch those, Shiva. Uh, <laughs> it yes. is the idea that you're just going and sitting communally together. You're sitting down, and Aubrey, you wrote an entire book on lament, right? So you, yep. you understand yep. this concept really well. But we're we're sitting yep. down together, and we're just. We're not trying to solve anybody's problem. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to give advice. Mm-hmm. We're just existing, being present yeah. with the mourner, and we're mourning yeah. with them. Yeah, we're adopting that our, ourselves and going, "Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna weep with you." Yeah, and we see this. What this is what I love about the Pain to Purpose course and and just getting this into churches. Um, you know, just taught a workshop recently where. We're, we were equipping a church that we're launching uh, the course at. And I was telling him like, hey, listen, when you when you guys facilitate these conversations, make sure that it is a conversation that is facilitating the space for people to be able to share their pain. Mm, this is not a conversation. Seven. This is not you teaching people out of their pain or instructing them out of their pain or giving advice or, and you have to be careful that other people don't take over the conversation and try to give advice to that person as well. Like it might feel awkward, but overcome yeah. that awkwardness that you just let that pain sit. You reflect yeah. back, hey, I'm hearing this in your voice. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing this kind mm-hmm. of, you know, and you're, you're, you're actually reflecting that back. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, it's unbelievable how much people open up mm-hmm. and the burden that gets lifted off of them. Mm. Oh, Davey, that's so good. That's, I'm, that's such a good word. And in fact, that's a good segue because... Again, we're sitting here talking about how the church needs to get better at this. This is a space that nothing is wasted is filling. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We are really passionate about building communities that you, listener, can be a part of right. so that you can sit in your pain and in other people's pain in a way that really brings honor and dignity to the whole process. And because of that, um, Davey, I'd love for you to tell our listeners more about the new community platform, Community Plus, everything that's happening at nothingiswasted.com right now. Yeah, if you haven't connected on our community platform, you need to. It's absolutely free. There you're going to connect with other people all over the world who are walking through the same exact thing that you're walking through. So we've been able to target because people are coming forward saying, hey, this is my pain point that I'm walking through. This is my valley that I'm walking through. You can put a, a label on that, right? We've been able to target that. And then because of that, bring people together around those spaces. And not only that, but our certified coaches are also interacting on this platform and, ha- you know, engaging with you there in those spaces. We are offering additional content on this, um, master classes, live conversations, uh, things that, that are going to really equip you and help you resource you as you're walking through your pain journey. 
Aubrey's got a masterclass coming up here in several weeks. I'm really excited about that. And um, so excited about it. And, and then you've got the community plus option, which is $20 a month and you get additional content. So for instance, the masterclasses, you know, you can attend that live for free, but the replay of all of those masterclasses, the library of them are available only to community plus members. And so this is a, I'm telling you, investing $240 a year into your healing, which by the way, mm -hmm. if you want to do the year annual, it's only 200 to so get two months free. It that's nice. like nothing investing in that. Um, yeah. I was just doing that math. That really is like not even 20 bucks a month, right? Right. Right. Am I doing this wrong? Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. It's $20 a month or $200 a year is the annual Amazing. and that's two months free. So it's like, you know, you're it, and, and, you know, you're going to spend tons of money on counseling. Like that's a one month's mm, worth of counseling right there. Yeah. And counseling's yeah. great. You need to do that. But th yes. there's some stuff that we're offering that is a stopgap for you, right? You may not have to work through as much in counseling because we're already, uh, we're already creating that space and that environment for you to do mm -hmm. that, to do it within community as well, which is such a key component. So I want to encourage you to do that. And on top of that, maybe you're like, well, I don't know if I necessarily want to do the content. This is also a great way for, to, for you to practically support Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Mm, One of good. the things that helps us just in all transparency that helps us is this membership platform because we're able to make informed, strategic financial decisions because yeah. we know, hey, this is how much money is going to come into the ministry every month. So this is how we can staff in this way. This is how we can mm -hmm. provide more resources in this way. So just mm -hmm. in all candidness and transparency, this is really helpful to the ministry. If this ministry has benefited you and you want to support it in any way, you can always right. give, but you, but this is a great way as well to do that is through this Community Plus platform. Yeah, that's fantastic, Davey. And again, you can go to nothingiswasted.com slash community to find out more. As always, we want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. You can find his music wherever it is you get your music, listen to your music. And uh, we'd love to invite you to engage with us on social media. We're on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, yep. at Davy Blackburn, and at Obsamp. That's right. Next week, we're joined by Misty Snyder. That's a conversation you are not going to want to miss. So let's go ahead and take a listen to part of Davy's conversation with Misty Snyder. The pregnancy felt different than my first son, and so I—I I was convinced I was having a girl, and I was—I was desperate to find out because I wanted to have, you know, girls, girl clothes thrown at me um, and to shop. And so I did some genetic <laughs> testing, and we hadn't done any testing with my first son, so this was a whole new experience. Um, so we did some genetic testing to find out the the gender of the baby and. It took a long time to hear back, and I, I kept calling and calling and calling. And one day, I had just gotten back from leading worship at a, at a Bible study on a Friday morning, and I was resting in my bed, and uh, I had my ringer off, but I looked over and I saw OB, and it was my doctor. And um, instantly, I felt something was wrong. 